Today on the Sunshine Economy, the cruise line boss who has challenged Florida's ban on vaccine passports, Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings CEO Frank Del Rio. No jab, no job. Uh, everyone who works at Norwegian must be vaccinated or else you're not working here. Norwegian requires all of its crew and passengers to be vaccinated against COVID-19, and it has been fighting the state of Florida in court to continue its mandate. I'm Tom Hudson. While Norwegian is slowly returning to cruising and sees record demand from passengers in a year, it has not returned to profitability. We went from making about $9 million a day in profit to losing $9 million a day. The CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings is next on the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. Frank Del Rio has been an early, strong, and vocal advocate of vaccine mandates. He was one of the first business leaders to require employees to get vaccinated against COVID-19, and he demanded his customers be vaccinated too. Del Rio is the CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. It's an $11 billion publicly traded cruise operator based in Miami. Today on the Sunshine Economy, you will hear our conversation with Del Rio about requiring employees to be vaccinated. No jab, no job, he says. We'll talk about the state of the cruising business, which is a big economic impact here in South Florida, and what he thinks now about those early decisions in the effort to return to cruising after being shut down for 500 days. The company was one of the first large employers to announce its vaccination policy. In early April, when vaccines still only had received emergency authorization by the FDA and Florida had just opened up vaccinations for anyone who was eligible, Del Rio and Norwegian announced its 100% vaccination policy. The announcement came just days after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis issued an executive order banning any company from requiring its customers to show proof of a vaccination. That executive order was the basis for what now has become law in Florida and the focus of a lawsuit. Norwegian has challenged the ban in court. It won its first round in federal court, but the state plans to appeal. Meantime, some Norwegian cruise ships have returned to the water and crew members and passengers continue to be required to be vaccinated to be on board. How long do you expect to continue requiring all passengers to be vaccinated to attend a Norwegian cruise? Tom, I don't know the answer to that, but it will be until we all feel confident that we don't talk about COVID, the pandemic's over that it is uh, safe to do so. And and today, I I don't think it's time yet. I get a report every day of the number of new cases around the world, including very detailed about the U.S., all the countries that we visit. Pandemic's not over. We've learned to live with it better. We have better therapeutics. We have better ways to, to treat those who are getting ill. There's less hospitalizations, less people dying. It's no longer front page news every day like it once was, but the pandemic is still going on. And so until I'm confident that I have the same level of assurance that no one's going to get ill on board our ships, we're going to continue demanding 100% vaccinations. We're very pleased that the FDA and CDC authorized 
vaccinations for five to 11 year olds. We believe that that will extend to uh, up to four year olds in, within the next uh, few months. And what we're seeing is that those who are cruisers or intend to be cruisers over index by a wide margin as to willing to get vaccinated or have been vaccinated versus the, the general population. So I believe that our stance of uh, absolute 100% vaccination on board or no exceptions is a competitive advantage. Our advanced bookings for second half of 22 and beyond are at all time high, at all time higher prices. And so I believe that the average American who wants to go on a cruise would prefer to go on a cruise knowing that everyone around them is vaccinated. You can be assured that everyone on board, my three brands are vaccinated. And I think given today's environment, that's what people want and therefore being a competitive advantage. It also has resulted in legal action, of course, with the state of Florida, particularly in the the, uh, Florida governor and the Department of Health. I want to ask you about some of that. But first, Norwegian has appeared on a list of businesses that have had complaints made against them to the state of Florida for having a vaccine requirement for a customer, in your case, a passenger. Has Norwegian been contacted by the state regarding a customer complaint about vaccination? Tom, not to my, uh, not to my knowledge. And I, my general counsel sits about three doors from me, so I think I would know. My number one overriding goal, commitment, responsibility is to keep everybody on board our ship safe. And I think that given what's going on in the world today with the pandemic, the best way to do that is to mandate 100% vaccination with no exceptions. Do you think that the Florida state law prohibiting so-called vaccine passports puts people at risk? Yes. I don't think I have to expand on that. Yes. There's no question. Your company sued the state Department of Health over that law. A federal judge ruled in your favor. The DeSantis administration has said it will appeal that ruling. What is the company prepared to do to defend your vaccine requirement in court? We've engaged top legal minds. If you read the judge's 80-plus page uh, decision, it left no doubt in anyone's mind that we were right and the state was wrong. Listen, I didn't want to sue the governor. I don't want to sue anybody. I think in my lifetime in running businesses, I have sued uh, another party once and I lost really, really badly. And so I I have a bad taste in my mouth about lawsuits that I initiate. I I lost. I didn't want to sue the governor, but I, I had no choice Tom, because I either was going to be in violation of federal law, CDC regulations, or state law. That's not a position you want to be in. But if I had to break a law, I was going to not break the federal law. Because the federal law applies to all 50 states. Florida law applies to Florida. And so it was a, a risk mitigating decision that we had to make. And we, we certainly made the right one. And we're so pleased, of course, that the judge uh, ruled in our favor. Are you prepared to continue through appeals? And should it go ultimately to the United States Supreme Court, as the DeSantis administration has suggested, to follow through? 
it could certainly go to the Supreme Court because it, uh, this case, besides the, the details of it, it goes straight to the, the case of who has jurisdiction, the state or, or the federal uh, government, and that is, you know, fodder for the, uh, the Supremes. And yes, we, we are willing to uh, and intend to fight this vigorously as long as the issue remains an issue. If the pandemic uh, wanes and there is no longer a threat to public health and to our guests uh, over COVID, and by the time uh, the courts rule on this, it's no longer an issue, then it's no longer something to worth to fight over. But if the, if the case came up tomorrow and the pandemic is alive and well as it is today, yes, we will fight. So in other words, you may come to a decision to drop your vaccine mandate for customers and crew before this case ever gets finally settled in court. That is theoretically possible. How does Norwegian verify a passenger's vaccination status? We ask for proof. Documentation. We ask for documentation. And just in case, Tom, that the virus is still developing inside because as you know you might get infected today get tested tomorrow and not show up there's a incubation period we test everyone at the terminal before boarding so now you provided documentation i take you at your word but you know prove and verify we test you for the vast majority, you know, 99 plus percent of the time, it's working fine because we find very, very few folks at the terminal who are testing positive. And if they do, of course, we never let you board the vessel. Yes, the cornerstone is the, the vaccines, followed by the testing before you come on board. But then you come on board and we have these dozens and dozens of protocols that were developed by the SailSafe panel. And it's worked like a charm. In the state's defense of its law, it seems to point to that request for documentation as a violation of a patient's health care privacy. Why do you think that's not a violation? I'm not asking you to tell me your diseases. I'm not asking you to tell me, you know, what medicines you take, what conditions you have. Forget the pandemic for a minute. If you wanted to travel with us to many places around the world that mandate vaccinations against yellow fever, for example, I had to ask for it. So it's politics. It's, it's, uh, no, no. If you send your children to school, you have to provide documentation of measles shots and all varela shots and all the other, you know, diseases that we're trying to control. Why is this one different? People are dying. People are getting sick. The way to prevent it is to be vaccinated. 47 plus million Americans have gotten sick. More Americans have died because of the pandemic than World War I and World War II combined. Come on. Does it take, does it take a genius to figure out that vaccinations prevent hospitalizations, death, misery, and everything else that goes with, with, with COVID, that the economies of this country, of this state, which is so dependent on tourism. How have 
the passenger vaccine requirements impacted demand for cruising? I think, as I've said many times, um, given the environment that we are all in today, I think it's a competitive advantage. And that's just a, not just me saying it. If you looked at our empirical numbers, our bookings for second half of 2022 and throughout 2023 are meaningfully ahead of where we were at the same time in 2019 for 2020, which this is before the pandemic, would have been a record year certainly ahead of where we were in 2018 for 2019, which was a record year, and at higher prices. That tells me that what we're selling, people want to buy. Are customers explicitly saying they're choosing Norwegian because of the vaccine mandate? Are you asking them? We're not asking them per se, but uh, our travel agents tell us that they are. Mm -hmm. If you go on the different online forums, more of them, yes than no. That's why I say it's a competitive advantage and we will keep doing it not for competitive advantage reasons. We will keep mandating the vaccine mandate as long as the science dictates that it is the right way to to operate, the right way to keep people healthy. That's Frank Del Rio. He's CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. We spoke with him from his office in Miami. Still to come on this program, how a major employer in South Florida requires all of its thousands of workers to be vaccinated against COVID-19. No jab, no job. Uh, Everyone who works at Norwegian must be vaccinated or else you're not working here. We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting WLRN. President Joe Biden's mandate for large companies to require employees to be vaccinated is on hold for now. A federal appeals court in New Orleans over the weekend issued a temporary halt on the requirement just two days after the Occupational Safety and Health Administration announced the rule. The regulation targets companies with 100 workers or more. It would require those companies to mandate employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19 or undergo weekly testing. It was due to take effect early next year. Florida and at least two dozen other states have come out against the federal emergency standard. On Thursday, just hours after the rule was announced, Governor Ron DeSantis said he intended to sue. People are so sick of constantly being bossed around, restricted, mandated, all these different things. We've had enough of it, and we want people to be able to make their own decisions. Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings is ahead of any federal vaccination requirement. It has over 2,000 employees in South Florida. CEO Frank Del Rio mandated workers to be vaccinated months ago, becoming one of the first large companies to institute a vaccine requirement as a condition of employment. And he supports the Biden administration's efforts to mandate employee vaccine and testing requirements for large businesses. You know, I have to agree with it. Back in March of this year, before anyone uh, was foolish enough to talk about vaccine mandates, we did. And we did at a time primarily to uh, break the logjam that was uh, at the CDC of do they let us cruise, do they not let us cruise, vaccinations were just beginning to become mainstream. And we said, okay, we we hear your hesitation. So we commit that we will not sail unless everyone on board is 100% vaccinated. 
And I said, well, if we're going to mandate that for our crew and our guests, I have to do the same for our employees here in Florida and, and throughout the country and throughout the world. And so we said, we're going to return to work on June 1st and everyone must be vaccinated. There was a lot of hesitation. Uh, I've never seen my uh, executive team be so up in arms with me about uh, any kind of topic. There was a lot of discussion, a lot of debate, but it became a, a great success where today everyone does come to the office uh, and I can count on probably on one hand, maybe I need two to tell you about the number of people who said, no, uh, I, I refuse to take the vaccine and therefore we had to separate ways. So we were very, very pleased with the response from our workforce. What has compliance been like at Norwegian, especially the shoreside employees? You know, no jab, no job. I mean, uh, everyone who works at Norwegian must be vaccinated or else you're not working here. There are a very small percentage that for medical reasons could not get the vaccine. And we thoroughly vetted those out to make sure they were legitimate and they are. Uh, there's a handful of, uh, you know, the religious uh, objections, which got nothing really to do with religion, but more of a, um, I think the term is a deep personal belief. There is a, a handful of those. The Biden administration rule allows for weekly testing for employees of companies of 100 workers or more who decide not to get vaccinated. Is there such an allotment within Norwegian? No, no. But on top of the fact that everyone is vaccinated, up until I believe November 1st, which was just a few days ago, not only were we mandating 100% vaccination, but we were testing everyone weekly. You were doing both testing and required vaccination. That's correct. Everyone was being tested at least once a week. We've now pivoted to sample testing because the prevalence uh, here in Dade County, as you know, has dropped precipitously from where it was just a few months ago. And so the risk reward warrants uh, us to do that. And, and we don't take these steps lightly. We, we consult with our sale uh, and safety council, which is headed by former FDA commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Um, and um, we, we determined that given that everyone is vaccinated, the prevalence in Dade County is dropping, it was safe to uh, and prudent to go to uh, sample testing. What's been the impact, if any, on the labor supply as the great resignation, the great reassessment, the labor supply is of such a concern for so many employers? You know, it's spotty. I would tell you that, you know, we roughly have 3,000 shoreside employees and we have about 100 open positions. And that's not quite double what we normally have. But it's harder. It's harder for our recruiters to get commitments from people and for those commitments to be kept. Uh, we have more than one example where someone agrees to join us. We sign our deal and... Um, Sometimes we get the call on Friday afternoon that they're not going to show up on Monday. And sometimes we find out on Monday that they're not showing up on Monday. So it's happening more, more than it ever happened before. And why aren't they showing up? Today, the hesitation is not so much vaccine or not vaccine. The hesitation now is more people wanting to work from home. 
we frown upon that a bit. We think that there's place for work and that's the workplace. There are areas where we will make exceptions either for business reasons or because this is a talented individual that uh, we, we absolutely need or, or sometimes it's for the, the medical reasons that, that I mentioned to you before. The workplace has been a successful place to innovate and to create the great industrial revolution that we went through and the technology revolution that we went through and the digital revolution that we're now going through. Let's not throw that away because of the pandemic. You have instituted a 4-1 work model. Is that four days in the office, one day uh, flexible, Friday, being able to work from home for the Shoreside employees? Is that right? Yeah, and it's worked pretty well. We needed to be sensitive that um, COVID, the pandemic, has had a, an effect on the psyche of employees. Um, of course, everybody wants to work from home. But uh, that's not always possible. And so we thought a, a good compromise was four days in the office, one day from, from home. And we monitor it. We want to make sure that productivity remains where it needs to be. And with very, very few exceptions, we have a responsible professional workforce and it's worked well. And so we've extended that uh, policy indefinitely. Maybe it'll work forever. Maybe at some point in the future, we, we may revert to something else. But for right now, it's working well. Frank Del Rio is the CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings based in Miami. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Check out our podcast by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Still to come, our conversation with the Norwegian Cruise Line CEO continues as its ships slowly return to cruising. We went from making about $9 million a day in profit to losing $9 million a day. I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. Today, we're featuring a conversation with Frank Del Rio. He leads the third largest cruise line operator in the United States and based here in South Florida, Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. Its 28 ships did not sail with passengers for 500 days because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Its first ship to set sail in July from Greece was in the Aegean Sea. In early August, a Norwegian ship sailed again from the United States in Alaska. And by mid-August, Norwegian returned to its home waters in Florida for the first time in 17 months, sailing out of Port Miami and the company's new $215 million terminal nicknamed the Pearl of Miami. Fewer than half its ships have welcomed back paying passengers and requiring all of them and the crew to be vaccinated against COVID-19. It does not expect to have all of its ships operating at full capacity until April. Last week, Norwegian announced its third quarter financial results, which included its first cruises since the pandemic began. It hasn't had a profitable quarter since the end of 2019. We spoke with Del Rio from his office about the cruise business returning even as the pandemic continues. As of this month, 13 of the company's 28 vessels are sailing or will be sailing with passengers. How much is the company limiting capacity and why? 
We've said that during the first 30 days that the ship operates, we want to limit capacity to 60% then grow to 80 and then grow to 100 every 30 days or so. That's one additional layer of protection of the trilogy of vaccinations, testing, and social distancing. We thought it was a prudent thing to do. It's also the right business thing to do because quite frankly, we need to show the cruising world, provide them with the confidence that it's safe to come back on cruise ships. And so uh, demand is ramping up. Cumulative bookings for the second half of 22 are a record because people want to cruise. They just don't want to necessarily cruise next week, next month. There's a portion of the population that is still taking a wait and see. This industry took a lot of beating back in April, May of 2020. People remember what happened. What's that saying? It takes a lifetime to build a great reputation and in one moment to to ruin it. And so we, we need to rebuild that momentum. And so we're not in any hurry. Uh, we're, this is not a race. We're ramping up our vessels about one every 10 days. We think that's the right pace. We want to make sure that our crew is completely, first of all, vaccinated, trained with the new protocols, that the vessels are in tip-top shape. And as we roll out, protecting the integrity of our brand uh, is more important than ever. And I believe that our brands will emerge from this COVID crisis in a higher and better standing from the general consumer population, the travel agent partners, than we entered it because of our definitive uh, action that we took about health and safety, that we put health and safety ahead of everything else we do. It wasn't a tagline for us. It's not a slogan for us. It's fundamentally what we do in the hospitality business. I'm a for-profit guy. I'm a capitalist. I watch my stock price every day. I have shareholders to worry about. I've got bankers to worry about. We had to raise $9 billion to stay uh, afloat, so to speak. <laughs> Literally. Yes. And, uh, and it's going to take a long time to, to get our balance sheet back to where it was pre-pandemic, which was a beautiful thing back then, not so beautiful today, but I can see a path that we return to the profitability of of yesteryears. We've got nine incredible new ships coming online over the next few years. Four of them come online in the next 24 months, and, uh, and we can't wait to get our hands on them. Let me ask about that pathway here, Frank. The company continues losing money, uh, burning about $9 million a day of cash burn in the third quarter. You announced you expect that to be a little bit higher here in the current quarter, the last three months of this calendar year. What's contributing to that? Well, close to zero revenue, right? And this is a fixed cost business. I have to maintain the vessels. The best way to ruin a vessel is not to use it. I don't know if you have a boat here in South Florida, Tom, But any boater will tell you whether you've got a skiff or a cruise ship. If you don't use it, you're going to have problems. So we we have crew on board to exercise all the mechanicals to keep those vessels up. We kept our our workforce pretty much intact. We had some furloughs of folks whose job is directly tied with volume. Reservation agents, for example, there was 
no reservations being taken or very few. So we furloughed. But, you know, the cruise industry is a very specialized industry. And it's very much here centralized in, in South Florida. And you don't want to lose those, those key folks. And so we had to keep them engaged. We still had, you know, debts to pay, interest expense to pay. We went from making about $9 million a day in profit to losing $9 million a day. One of the wonderful benefits of this industry, Tom, perhaps more so than just about any other, is that people book their cruises way in advance of actually taking the sale. So when I tell you that our bookings are way ahead for the second half of 22, that's not me guessing or hoping. I've got it on the books. It's empirical. You can come in and audit that. And you will see that Mr. Johnson booked a cruise from um, Barcelona to Rome, and he's leaving on July 7th, and he paid me $10,000. So I have visibility, and that visibility is translating into confidence that people are, are coming back to cruise, and I can clearly see that we will be profitable in the second half of 22. And if I can close the books today on 2023, 2023 will be the best year in the company's history. What role are energy prices playing in that predictability? The same role they've always played. I wish gas was cheaper. You know, I wish carrots were cheaper. And I wish, you know, eggs were cheaper. But they're not. And it's just uh, uh, another cost of doing business. Fuel expense as a percentage of, of our overall costs are in the 8 9% range. Certainly something we watch and look at, but it's not the difference between uh, making money or losing money. Are you experiencing any other supply chain constraints, inflationary pressures on supplies or, or worker wages for that matter? And how is that impacting your prediction for return to profitability in the second half of next year? So we're not immune to the other pressures that uh, face other companies. So yes, inflation is alive and well in foodstuffs. Um, your grocery bill is higher today than it was a year ago. Ours is too. Are you able to pass that along to the passenger? Well, we, we have. I remember what I said in our earnings call, higher, higher bookings at higher prices. So, you know, inflation, the word inflation is the ugly side of pricing power. And we're seeing pricing power in our business. Pent up demand is alive and well. People recognize that our brands offer something unique in the health and safety environment. We have you know, beautiful ships uh, in the three different major categories of the cruise industry, the contemporary brand like Norwegian, the luxury brand like Regent, premium like Oceana. And they're willing to pay a premium to come on board our vessels versus our competitors. In order to maintain that willingness, you, you have to provide an excellent product. And so one thing that we don't do, Tom, we don't take shortcuts. The fillets are as thick and as juicy as ever. You know, the, the service standards are as uh, high as they've ever been, and if not higher, because we, we recognize that we've been out. And when we welcome people in, we want to make sure that, you know, you only have one chance to make a first impression. And we want that first impression to be the great one. How do you think the pandemic has impacted your customer desires, the types of cruises they want to take, uh, the kind of cruising experience that they want to take, the level of service and what they're willing to pay? 
I often tell my team that the pandemic is this generation's war. Every generation has to face trials and tribulations. Our grandparents did World War One. our parents in World War Two. This is ours. This is our time to, to overcome. After wars, there is this period of jubilation. You saw the roaring 20s after World War I. You saw the great expansion in the 50s and 60s after World War II. I think you're going to see that after the pandemic. Our best-selling cruises for 22 and beyond are not three, four-night cruises from Miami to the Bahamas. People want to see the world. People have bucket lists. You know, the mundane is over. People, people want to go out there and have fun. And, and, and that's what cruising is all about. And if you're going to go see the world, there's no more convenient way to do it. Look, the biggest problem I have today, one of these international ports that we want to go to going to be reopened. It's going to be a while. They're opening. Europe is opened. America, North America is open. Alaska opened late last summer. Asia is still closed. Australia, New Zealand, Japan is still closed. They're not going to be closed forever. The cruise industry is seasonal. But by the time next year comes around this time, I do believe New Zealand, Australia, Japan, Thailand, Singapore will be open. And then we're off to the races. That's what people want. Has the virus changed how people are spending money on board? Well, they're spending a lot more. I think that's just a reflection of society not being able to spend money. You know, Americans are consumers. 60% of our economy is consumption. And for, I don't know, 18 months, we said, no, stay home, order something via Amazon and go to dinner on Uber or Uber Eats. And now they're free again to cruise and they're spending money. You know, before the pandemic, we were talking about how people were spending money on experiences and not on stuff. Guess what? They're buying stuff again. You know, our boutique sales are all-time highs and they're still going to the spa and they're still doing the shore excursions. I'm not ready to declare that stuff buying is back, but the early days suggest that it may be. That's Frank Del Rio. He's CEO of cruise ship company Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. Still to come, more of our conversation with the CEO of Norwegian Cruises, looking back at those early decisions in the effort to return to business. I don't want to ever say as a CEO of a public company, I didn't care about profits. But I didn't care about profits because it was such a, a distant, a distant goal to be profitable when we were shut down. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. By May of this year, no cruise ship had sailed from an American port with a paying passenger for more than a year. The Centers for Disease Control first ordered cruises to stop altogether, and then by May, the CDC had issued what it called its Conditional Sale Order, the rules for what cruise ship operators needed to do on board and shoreside in order to get the okay to welcome back paying passengers. 
Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings took the option of requiring all crew and passengers to be vaccinated. The strategy put it at odds with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who had banned companies from requiring customers to show proof of vaccinations. That is still playing out in court. During the company's second quarter conference call with Wall Street analysts in early May, Norwegian CEO Frank Del Rio said this. Cruise ships have motors, propellers, and rudders. And God forbid we can't operate in the state of Florida for whatever reason. And there are other states that we we do operate from. Um, And we can operate from the Caribbean for, for ships that otherwise would have gone to Florida. We certainly hope it doesn't come to that. It didn't. But Del Rio's comment echoed as a reminder of the economic stakes of the cruise business in South Florida and the friction between a governor pushing against public health mandates and an industry pushing to return to business. I spoke with Del Rio from his office in Miami last week. What do you make of that comment today? Look, it's true that ships have propellers and rudders and motors. <laughs> Indeed it is. Um, and there is, like anything else, there's the higher and best use for a ship. Ships are, are, are destinations are seasonal. The same ship that is operating in Scandinavia in July can produce twice as much revenue if that same ship was operating out of Miami in the deep summer months to the Caribbean. Now, the reverse is also true. If I put that same ship in Scandinavia in January, it'd be empty because who wants to go to Scandinavia in December? Then that's why ships are seasonal. But to your point, and you know, I know what you mean. Yeah, if this was heard as a threat. It was, yeah, you know, and it really wasn't. Uh, I. If you knew me at all, you know that I'm just not a threatening person. But it was just, I I was, I said that in reaction to a question by a Wall Street analyst that said, what happens if you cannot operate? Well, my choices are I, I, I lay up the vessel or I go elsewhere. That, that is the truthful answer, not a threat. I, I, it's, it's, I just wouldn't do that. Uh, the good news is that we never had to exercise that because the judge came through and said we can we can ask for the for vaccination proof. But make no mistake, you know we visit nearly 500 ports around the world in our 28 vessels. There is a time for them, and um, you know we pursue sun and fun and good weather. And um, different parts of the world fit that bill at different at different points. We we love. Port Miami, we think Port Miami is the premier port in the world. If you've driven down the MacArthur, you've seen these palaces that we've all built trying to outdo one another, you know, and and of course, mine is the, the best one. And the Pearl, right? The Pearl. The Pearl. That's right. Quarter of a billion dollar investment for you. My peers have also done a great job in in elevating the industry and in, in these beautiful terminals that are just uh, second to none around the world. When cruise lines were first preparing to welcome passengers back under the conditional sale order from the Centers for Disease Control, companies like yours had kind of two choices. One was they could conduct simulation cruises with volunteer passengers, conduct testing and test protocols on board, or they could go the route that you did at Norwegian, which is to require vaccinations for everybody to step foot on deck. Any reflections on that path chosen for Norwegian and the path you've been on? 
Tom, it was the easiest decision ever that we've ever made. I mean, look. Is that right? If if masking and social distancing and washing your hands was the end all, we wouldn't have 47 million people with COVID in this country, right? It didn't work. I mean, washing your hands is better than not washing your hands. Wearing a mask was better than not wearing a mask, but it wasn't going to eradicate the disease. It wasn't gonna keep you 100% safe. What keeps you safe, safer than anything else is vaccinations. So I didn't wanna go through the charade of simulated cruises with unvaccinated people and the craziness, the craziness of you had to wear a mask at the dining table, but you only can take it off in between bites or in between sips. Really? I told people never order soup because it was going to be sloppy. And uh, I, <laughs> we weren't going to play that stupid game for God's sakes. And, uh, and so it was never considered. I'm glad that we didn't go down that route. 100% vaccination is not only the right thing to do from a public health perspective, but it's become a competitive advantage. Do you find yourself frustrated still having to talk about it so many months after the fact? No, it's still it's still uh, something that we have to worry about. We've come a long way in the, what is it, 20 months or so since we discovered that something called coronavirus existed. We've begun to get the upper hand with the vaccines now available for you know, children five years old and up. We have therapeutics, the Merck pill. We have the monoclonal remedies, but it's still, it's still something to contend with. And um, I, don't mind, uh, I don't mind one bit. Uh, I was very pleased to see the CDC acknowledge that the cruise industry has done a, a yeoman's job of, uh, of controlling the, uh, the COVID-19. The, the, st- the steps that we have taken as an industry to, um, to protect public health and our guests from contacting the disease way beyond uh, what any other sector of the broad hospitality space has done. And, um, and that's one of the reasons why they are going to um, you know, moderate the, the, the conditional sale order effective January 15th, it becomes voluntary. And I expect that uh, we certainly will continue to follow it to the T. And I expect that our competitors will will as well. You were the first probably large corporate publicly traded CEO to come out and not only endorse vaccinations, but require vaccinations for a workforce and for your customers. And as we've talked about, it clearly got the attention of politicians it has gotten the attention of shareholders and regulators, certainly, and customers, passengers. What did you think about playing that role? Did, you, did it occur to you at that moment or in moments since about how kind of out on the, uh, the point of the spear you had put yourself and the company? Tom, I wish I can tell you that I, um, I consulted you know, the, the great Brubah and, you know, I went to the woods and I spoke to myself and it was an easy decision because it was obviously the right one. I learned a long time ago that if you do right by your customers, you'll make money. For us, it was 
a, a slam dunk decision that this is the right thing to do at that time. Um, that time has extended way beyond what any one of us would have thought was possible. This del- Remember, in this country, we got down to 8,460 cases on June 26th. We had almost won. July 4th was Independence Day, not just from the Brits, but from COVID. And everybody was feeling great. And then Delta came. And it was like, oh, no, not again. And we're still in the Delta, Delta world. I don't want to ever say as a CEO of a public company, I didn't care about profits. But I didn't care about profits. Because it was such a, a distant a distant goal to be profitable when we were shut down. We needed to gain the confidence of consumers or else we would never be profitable. We would never be profitable. And so we, we took a long-term approach. I wasn't in for the quick win. I, 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 I'm not for, in for the quick win now. So uh, I have no regrets, none whatsoever. That's Norwegian Cruise Line holding CEO Frank Del Rio. We spoke with him from his office in Miami. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Still to come on this program, the economics and epidemiology of an employee vaccine mandate. What is a good employer? I think in South Florida, it's going to be a little bit more complicated. I'm Tom Hudson. We're back on the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. The federal government's effort to make big companies require employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19 or undergo weekly tests is on hold after a judge's ruling over the weekend. While the legal challenges make their way through court, the impact of any mandate to have companies with at least 100 employees to be vaccinated or tested may have limited impact here. I think in South Florida, it's going to be a little bit more complicated. That's Dr. Zinzi Bailey, a social epidemiologist with the University of Miami. We've been speaking with her most weeks to hear about the virus. Particularly the community transmission, since we have so many smaller or medium-sized businesses. Small employers are having a tough time paying the higher wages. And this is Howard Frank. He heads up the Metropolitan Center at FIU. We've been speaking with him most weeks to hear about the economy. Now you add kind of vaccine, non-vaccine, and I get to choose between what type of environment to work in. The vast majority of companies in South Florida would not be subject to this federal requirement if it stands up in court. More than four out of five companies in the region have less than 100 workers on payroll. About 40 percent of people working in the region work at those smaller firms, according to Census Bureau data. The Biden administration's effort to require large company employees to be vaccinated comes as infection rates have dropped considerably in Florida. One month ago, most of the state was experiencing a high level of community transmission. Now that has fallen to substantial or moderate, representing a decrease. On Friday, Miami-Dade County dropped its mask mandate inside county government buildings, and school districts have eased mask rules, too. It comes as private companies added more than 600,000 jobs nationwide in October, and the job gains were led by companies driving the job market here in South Florida, restaurants, bars, and hotels. 
Still, about 20,000 fewer people are in the regional job market now compared to before the pandemic. This is the environment companies are looking for workers and customers in. What is a good employer? Well, I, you know, we could ask, is a good employer one who provides you with adequate pay, adequate uh, benefits, and use you as something other than, you know, a disposable commodity? Being able to ensure a safe work environment is not just about hard hats. It is about ensuring that the conditions for who is able to work and who you're coming into contact with and what precautions are put in place is all a part of being in a safe work environment. How this plays into people's behavior, who will do business with whom, who is going to have an easier time hiring. From an economic standpoint, we're letting the market decide. I'm part of the market. I'm going to decide where I'm going to go uh, and where I'm going to feel the most safe. I think we have the same situation with employees. Watching the epidemiology with Zinzi Bailey of the University of Miami and the economy with Howard Frank of FIU. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.